Man, Marcus, it's so hard to follow you. Uh, in, in the back, JJ was like, I hope you brought your A game too. And he was like, what are you preaching on? And I said, leprosy. And so uh, we're, we're going to do the best that we can today. Uh, I'm so excited that you're here with us this morning. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome as well. We, we think Chanel is a special place, and we're glad that you are a part of it as well. Now, we'll be in Luke chapter 5, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, that'll be where we are this morning. But I want to tell a, a quick story before we jump into the text. So last Sunday evening, uh, I took a group of teens to Top Golf, And before I get text messages, John Waddell has been called to lead a, a group of men to Top Golf too, so that's, that's coming soon. But we, we took a group to Top Golf, and if you've ever gone on a trip with teenagers, uh, you've experienced the look that a server gives you. Uh, when you show up with any number of teens, uh, it is a look of both sadness and disappointment. Um, teens are notoriously bad tippers. Now, just not our teens, but, but teens are notoriously bad tippers and normally leave a mess. Uh, I have prided myself in the years of working with students of making sure that when we leave a place, it looks like it looks when we showed up, as well as making sure that we leave good tips, we have good eye communication, we, we pay attention to the servers. That is a, a point of pride that I've always had uh, working with teens. But when we show up, and if you've gone to Top Golf, you, you go in and they send you to a bay, so that's where you'll be golfing. And you, you go in and, and the lady just goes, oh, who's your party? And I'm like, it's, it's me and these guys. And she was like, oh, like, you know, are adults showing up? And I'm like, oh, technically that's me, you know. And, um, and so we, we, we go to our bay, but one of the things that was different about this particular trip is that we, we all rode separately. Uh, Jack Yates and myself, we rode together, but everybody else was coming from a different direction, a different place in town. And so if you've done a trip like that, where you've got a couple of people coming from different directions, I'm on my phone the whole time, because I'm making sure that somebody is going to be where they're supposed to be. Uh, with, with this particular event, I needed to know like if you were bringing a friend, so I had the right amount of you know, space or whatever. And so I'm, I'm really distracted, is the point of this. I, I'm making sure that everybody is where they need to be, and also trying to not look at the, the sad faces of the servers, of like, oh, cool, uh, teens. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm texting some kids as we get seated and we get kind of placed in our bay, and, and my head is down. Um, this is the important part of the story. Um, I think I'm texting Rylan Henry, and I'm like, hey, just let me know when you're on your way. We, you know, we don't want to start without you, but like, you tell me when you're on your way. And I'm texting Rylan, and our server comes up. And she's like, hey, you know, welcome to Top Golf. I want to show you kind of how this works. Here are the screens. Here are the golf clubs. And, and she's, she's getting us set up, and, and I'm not paying attention. I'm not. I'm, I'm being very honest and transparent with all of you. Like, I wasn't. I was texting to make sure that Rylan and Rylan had a friend. Like, I was making sure that everything was lined up. And she said, can I, can I get your drinks? And, and I'm sure some of the kids started ordering drinks. And when she said, sir, what do you want? I, I, I think I did that thing where I'm like, I'd like a Dr. Pepper. And then I went right back to the phone. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel disgusted sharing this story with you. I do. I'm being honest with you. Like, it has wrecked me because I just, I was like, man, what a rude thing to do to something like a human being. And so as, as she continues around our group, I hear uh, the voice of Brian Allen. Now, I love Brian Allen. And so you know that, like, and I've already asked Brian if I, it was okay if I could tell the story. But I hear Brian's voice. And normally, like, it's either way. It's a 50-50, a toss-up, right? Like, where's this going to go? And Brian said, hey, what is your name? 
And I remember like looking like at him like, what are you doing? Like we're 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 here to play top golf, we're here to hang out, we're gonna, you know, get food, have fun. And he says, What what is your name? And the server stops. And she goes, My my name's Simone. Why? And and again, if if you know Brian, you can hear his voice when he says, like, I'm so glad that you're our server. And it it wrecked me. I was like, what in the world? And I'm telling you this because it slowed me down in a way where I was like, I'm not seeing people. I'm distracted with all these other different things that are going on in my world right now, and I'm failing to see somebody that's right in front of me. And I remember just at that moment thinking like, okay, this is weird. And I stepped back a little bit while some of the kids golfed, and I noticed that like that was an uncommon interaction for her in our, our section. Like, very few adults were paying attention to this woman. It was all, like, transactional. Like, what she was bringing to the table, what they were ordering, like, if, if their, their game messed up. Like, it was all that. But I'm, I'm proud to say, like, the kids that we brought, when, what I noticed was they made eye contact with this person. They said thank you every time she brought something. They were, they were polite and engaging the entire time. And so as we get ready to leave, we're doing our thing. We're setting the chairs back up. We're, putting, we're stacking the plates. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for the individuals to come up and clean after us. And, and she grabs my arm and she says, hey, can I speak to you for just a second? And I'm thinking like, I think this car worked. You know, like, you know, it's like if you ever had a server come up to you, like, can I talk to you privately? I'm like, oh, okay, like, I got another one, I promise. And she said, I, I want you to know that that was different. And I, I appreciate how your kids acted. And I said, oh, man, they're not my children. Like, these are, these are just people that I hang out with, you know. And, uh, and I said, I go, what do you mean? She said, like, y'all looked at me, like, all night. And she said, I appreciate being seen. And I, I love that story. I love when I can learn something from the kids that I get to hang out with. But it, it slowed me down just a little bit to remind me that we have to be intentional in seeing people. When we see people, we add value to who they are and who God created them to be. Like, we didn't preach at this woman. Like, we didn't do any of that, but like, she saw the gospel in just a little glimpse that night. That she mattered, that she had value, that she was beyond just like working at Top Golf. She had value and purpose. This morning, the the story that we're going to look at in in Luke chapter 5, I think, is a story about seeing people. Seeing people the way that God sees them. Seeing people the way that, that Jesus instructs us through his actions, through his teachings, in how to love and engage people. But the text this morning starts immediately after the calling of the first disciples. I think it's Luke 5, 1 through 11. Jesus is engaging with these men who are fishing. You know, Luke doesn't tell us the sermon context at all. We have no idea what Jesus preached about. But whatever he preached about, when he calls the, the first disciples to cast their nest out, you remember the story, they do it. They're like, Master, because you said so, we will do this. They do it. They have this catch where it's, it's the biggest catch they've ever had in their entire lives. And they leave it. They leave the, that fish on the side of the, the Sea of Galilee because they're like, we've experienced something with Jesus that we want to follow him. That story happens and then our story this morning begins in verse 12. While, they were in, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. There's two parts of this that, that I want to break apart. 
But this is a, a, a method that Luke uses a lot to move Jesus from one location to another. Mark does this with his uh, and then. And it's like, and then Jesus went. And then Jesus did this. Like, all of these writers have their kind of own signature in how we move Jesus from one place to another. Luke does this with geographical locations, even in instances where we don't have a clue what city this is. This shows us that Luke is just moving the story along because he says, well, he was in one of the towns. We'd like to know that, but it doesn't matter to Luke because it's all about moving the story along. So the first disciples, and then while, G- while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, I want to look at this just a little bit because this isn't probably the modern-day understanding of leprosy that we have, of Hansen's disease. This isn't the same thing that we're talking about here. Likely, this is a skin disease that they didn't have an understanding of actually what it was medically. And even though we don't know, you know the, the actual like, classification of what this is, they had ways to deal with people who had skin disease that they didn't understand. And to do that, as, again, I'm following Marcus, like who wants to go to Leviticus? Um, we've got to go to Leviticus to kind of have a better understanding of, of the context that this man is coming, in, coming from. So a man covered with leprosy, skin disease, that no one knows what it is, what's causing it, is he contagious? Like, we don't know. But they had this practice. In Leviticus chapter 13, it says, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. I'll point out here, no doctor, right? Um, this is a doctor in the same way that I'm a doctor, okay? Um, okay, didn't land. Perfect. Um, my point is this is what happens here is in this society, what happens if you have a skin disease that you don't understand, that they don't understand how this happened, what this is, they would take you to the priest. And the priest would just kind of do a good old one-over and be like, don't like it, unclean. And the text continues, the priest is to examine the sore on the skin, and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. I'll move on because this text is kind of gross. But you see where I'm going with this. The man with leprosy is living in this context where he's gone to a priest. And the priest has said, you are unclean. Now, there was an understanding in this day and age that if on the outside you were unclean, you were also unclean on the inside. I mean, you didn't just have skin problems, you had heart problems. You were seen as a sinful person, someone who was not allowed to be around society. So this nameless man who has leprosy is dealing with a lot. He's likely disconnected from his society, from his community, from his friends, his family, his work. Like, the people that this man wants to be around The priest has said, you are unclean. You are unable to be around these people. He's likely dejected too. I mean, that that feeling of isolation, of having no one, he likely feels like the world is against him. But I also think he's probably defeated too. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel isolated and alone, like the world is against you? 
Like, that is the mindset of this individual. But everything changes one day. Because the text says that when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. For me, verse 12, which is, is, I'm, I'm breaking apart verse 12, this is where this man has hope. Likely for the first time in a very, very long time. I like to believe that he's, he's maybe heard rumors of this man who's walking around Galilee. He's heard the rumblings that maybe he's, he's turned water into wine. Or these, these men were listening to a sermon, and then all of a sudden, Jesus produced the most fish that these individuals had ever seen in their lives. But he's probably also heard, like, this man sees you. This man doesn't look at you as less than or, or unwelcome or unclean. This man sees you. And so when, when he sees Jesus, this is the first time in a long time that this individual has hope. A belief that maybe things could turn around for me. And we see that in his actions. Because he sees Jesus and the first thing that he does is he fell down with his face on the ground. I'm trying to be more visual, but I'm not going to do this. But I would like, just imagine for a moment, he gets down on his knees. His face is probably on the ground. What he is doing is physically signaling the authoritative stance of Jesus. By getting down in this posture, he is saying, Jesus, I know who you are. Like, I am not worthy to be around you, Jesus. He's affirming that Jesus is the Messiah. It's it's beautiful when you see this. A man that society has cast out is publicly and physically recognizing that Jesus is who we believe that he is. But then he begs him. Like These are the actions of a man who has been disconnected. He needs hope that he can one day return to his family, return to the people that he loves. A man that's been dejected because life has told him, man, you're not enough, you're unwelcome, you're unclean. And he's desperate. He needs to know that God is there for him. I teach a lot in sermons, but just I want you to know I'm, I'm about to start preaching. Because it says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a, a, a statement that we often kind of proceed very quickly through in the story. We move fast. But I hope that you see the, the weight of what he's saying. Especially what we've tried to lay out over the last two weeks. Because this isn't just like a, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Like This is absolutely a request. That's what he's doing. But it's also coming from somebody that the church has rejected. That the church has said, you are unclean and unwelcome with us. You can't be a part of this. Friends, I believe that God will put unlikely people in our lives to teach us things. The very people who recognize that Jesus has the ability to turn water into wine, is it the master of the wedding? No. Is it the bride or the groom or the fancy guest? No. The people who recognize that Jesus has the ability to turn water into wine, they're the servants, the least of these. Those that society looks down upon because they're just servants. In this story, somebody's ready for the Super Bowl, it sounds like. Um, sorry. Sometimes you're like, not supposed to draw attention, but my bad. But 
And in the story, the person who recognizes that Jesus is who he says he is, is a man covered in leprosy, whose society has said, you cannot be a part of what we're doing here. And so he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want you to see the statement coming from somebody that has been rejected. Friends, this is a request, but more than that, it is a declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has healing and saving possibilities and powers. This man does not doubt that Jesus can do this. He does not question if Jesus has the ability to do this. What this man's question really is, is can you do it? He's saying, I know you can. I believe in you, Jesus. And so he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And this is where like, the preaching starts because a lot of us are walking around wondering if Jesus is going to save us. Can you fix the, the things that are sour in my life, Lord? Can you fix my marriage? Can you fix my job? Can you fix my kid? Like, we're wondering, can you do all of these things? And Jesus quickly says, Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man, I am willing. Do you see there's no hesitation there? And says, like, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The story is, is moving fast, but I want you to see, like, there's something about, like, the power in, in touching somebody. The power in, in letting somebody know that you are with them. Maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's a handshake. Maybe it's a fist bump. But, like, there is power in that connection. I, I like to highlight different people at this church, and, and I want to highlight a, a student in our children's ministry. And, and to Marcus's point, those kids run out here really excited. It's kind of like, like, at first I thought they were really excited to go to children's ministry, but what if it's like they just don't want to be around me. Um, and in the sermon, they're like, I don't want to hear that. i got to get out of here. But there's a kid in our student ministry, this Boyce Waddell. I, I love Boyce Waddell. He is a, a wonderful, wonderful kid. But I want, you to tell, I want to tell all of you that if you have not received a high five from Boyce Waddell, you are not living. I'm just telling you. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon, and it was after church, and they were coming in, and I, I was exhausted. I was, just, I was tired, and, and I was collecting my things, and I wasn't, I was distracted. And I saw Boyce coming in the auditorium, and I think I just said, hey, Boyce, how you doing, buddy? And he said, hey. I love Boyce. He said, hey, stop me. He grabbed my hand. He reared back with his other hand and just gave me the best high five ever. And I, I promise you, it changed my mood. I needed that high five. I don't know if you've ever just needed a hug. Jay Cheshire is doing this thing now where he hugs me a lot. I didn't know, he's not here so I can talk about him, but I didn't know like how much I needed a hug every now and then, just to know that somebody is with me. Because in the story, it's probably a, it's been a long time since anyone touched this man, a very, very long time. And, And a lot of this has to do with how, again, they viewed these individuals from their understanding of Leviticus. So if we go to Leviticus chapter 14, it says, Then he shall sacrifice the doves or the young pigeons, such as the person can afford, uh, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering, together with the grain offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the one to be cleansed. To be deemed clean in this understanding of Leviticus, you had to go through a lot of steps, a lot of hoops, just for people to think that you were clean. 
But if I were to touch somebody that society had deemed to be unclean, then I myself has been made unclean. So I want you to see what Jesus does in this moment. Because what Jesus does is he says, I'm willing to be unclean for you. I'm willing to take what the world has said is is your blemish, is your sin, the thing that is weighing you down, the thing that is destroying you. I'm willing to take that upon myself so that you can have a new life. There's a lot in these four verses that we see in Luke chapter 5. We're learning a lot about how Jesus sees people, how we're called to love people, but also what Christ has done for us. Now, the, the next thing is where it kind of gets exciting. It says, the Lord, then Jesus ordered him, do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. There's a few things that I think is happening here. I, I'm, really, it's unclear what Jesus' motivation is. The, the human being in me is Jesus sending him to say, hey, look what I did. Y'all couldn't do this. Look what I did. Jesus is a better person than me. So I don't know if that's what's going on here. Jesus may be very well following the Levitical teachings. But I think more than anything, Jesus is saying, there's somebody new here. There's a new way that we're going to be looking at people, viewing people. We're not just going to cast them out because they have this blemish. Because through Christ, these people can be made clean. I do think that that's what's happening here, is Jesus is saying there is a new way and a new understanding of this world through Christ. But the story continues in verse 15. News about him spread all the more. It is so easy to understand how the news spread. There's a phrase in, in therapy that, hurt, that is, hurt people hurt people. You're familiar probably with that phrase. There's an understanding that if, if you're going through a lot if you're unhealthy, man, man, you're often trying to bring other people down. But I think this story is maybe a new understanding of, like, healed people tell people. I guarantee you that when this man, I believe that he went to the priest. I believe he did everything that Jesus told him to do. He went to the priest, he showed his skin to the priest, and the second that he left there, he went straight home. He saw his family, he saw his friends. I think he knocked on the door, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were like, what are you doing here? And he was like, wait, let me show you something. Maybe he pushed up his, his sleeves and said, look at my skin. And after he did that, he probably said, let me tell you now about somebody that I met. I think there's a lot to unpack in Luke chapter 5. But I think there's a few lessons that I want to leave you with. The first is, is it is really important that we see people the way that Jesus saw them looking past their blemishes, looking past the things that society says, you are unworthy, you are not welcome. We have to look past that and see people as creations that God has made, individuals made in the image of God. The second thing I think that we have to take away from this story is the recognition that God can heal whatever we're going through. But we have to bring it to Him. We have to be willing to say, Lord, can you take this this burden that is in my life? Lord, can you take the thing that's been weighing me down, the thing that's causing me to struggle, the thing that's causing me pain, Lord, will you take it? So I think the the miracle here is clearly the cleansing. But the message of the story is that Christ will take our burdens. 
Friends, He's already done that. He's already gone to the cross for us. But what we have to do is be like the man that was covered in leprosy and say, Lord, take them. Take the things that are weighing me down. Take my burdens. Take my sins. When we do that, I think we honor this story. We also recognize that God is still doing miraculous things. But we have to be a part of those. Let's stand and sing together.